We're in 1 John chapter 2. And this morning we're going to look at a, a little passage that, that feels like it was kind of inserted, maybe later, but I don't believe it was, and I'm not really sure why it was written. It's possible that this little passage was written to kind of bridge what, what John had said in the, in the first part of his letter, particularly the first part of chapter 2, and sorry, verse 12, Daniel, okay, um, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 is where we're looking this morning. And, and it, it's, it's viewed as, as a bridge between what was written earlier and then what, what John begins to go into in uh, verse 15 of chapter 2 when he starts uh, t- uh, talking about do not love the world or the things of the world. Um, so in some, re- in some respects, he, while, while he has been very instructional throughout this letter so far, He's also been very declarative, making different uh, uh, theological declarations about who Jesus is and such. And then also this idea of giving us uh, a litmus test to evaluate our own lives, to ask ourselves the important question, are we truly in the faith? And... If we truly are in the faith, then are we living like it? Are, are we living like we say we believe? Now, I think, I think every day we have those crossroads, don't we? We have those challenges that we may not quite live up to that which we believe. And uh, that's understandable because we are fallen people. That's understandable because we have two natures that are warring within us with the nature of the Holy Spirit uh, who dwells in us but we also have our carnal nature and uh, that's why Paul talked about this idea of mortifying the deeds of the flesh that through the Spirit referring I believe to the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit you might live and, and there's, there's the battle raging so in, inwardly and so what, what I think at times makes it even a bit more frustrating um, is, is that not only is the battle raging um, inwardly, but when we experience an external battle, thanks, Phil, uh, when we experience an internal ba- uh, external battle, the battle raging between us and others, we almost have to take that and internalize it. Does that make sense? Because sometimes when the battle is raging between you and someone else, You'd rather respond in the flesh, wouldn't you? Makes sense to me, okay? You know, I, you know, I, I, I had a, a friend. I shouldn't, well, he was a friend, okay. One of his, his, years ago, years ago, when I was in my late teens, well, mid-teens, actually, his favorite saying was, I don't get mad, I get even. And then he changed that to, I don't get even, I get one up. So that was... Now, was that would be, okay, maybe a show of hands, maybe not. Would that be a response of the spirit or a response of the flesh? I would go with the, uh, the, the latter, not the former. Um, but sometimes, if, I think if we're honest, 
the appeal of the flesh appears, follow me, it appears to be so much more gratifying. Doesn't it? You smash my face, I smash yours, right? Of course, that's an extreme, of course. You do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. And, 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 and I, I think sometimes in this, part of the response of the, uh, that we should have toward the Holy Spirit is to ask the prayer, Lord, how is it that I should respond in these given situations? And I think that when we ask that question, And, I, and that, that prayer comes, I think, in various forms. I call them shotgun prayers. Where you're just like, oh, help me, Lord. Right? Just help me, Lord. I think, I think when, we, when we respond in that way, we go back to what the Old Testament prophets says, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Both the outward battle and even the inward battle. Our part, I believe, in our transformation into the image of Christ is really all about us submitting to his lordship and allowing him to do that work. And there are times that I, and I think you guys would, would, would understand this. You would agree. You would, you've lived this. You have submitted to his lordship, and you're still looking for the fruit of it, aren't you? I've submitted to you. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl, whatever the case may be. And I'm still waiting. Now, that's tough, isn't it? You know, and it's... Sometimes I wonder, why does it have to be so difficult? You ever wonder that? I wonder that. I think about some of your lives and what you guys are going through. Don't want to do eye contact now, right? Not ready to go blind looking at the lights. But anyway, I think about some of your, the things that you guys go through and the things that you share with me, and I'm thinking, well, Lord, why does it have to be so difficult for them? And what I've realized that there's, I think there's not, only, there's not just one answer to that question, by the way, at least in my opinion. I think one of the things that we have to consider is the, the, the uh, cunningness and the ability and the power of our enemy, the enemy of our souls, who is like a roaring lion, Satan like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may what? Devour. So he can chew you up and spit you out, essentially. And, and I think that's just one of, of the issues of why sometimes life just seems so difficult and, and, and the, the struggles that we have that just seem to be ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and just never seems to end, does it? And one of the other things, and I hate to admit this, and it would be a whole lot easier to say this was the case about my last church, is that I think at times we do not really recognize just how carnal and sinful we really are. 
And, and I think we have to take the words of God given to us in the book of Genesis so seriously because he told, who did he tell? Cain. Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. And you must master over it. And so it's always there waiting. It's always there waiting to slap you along the side of the head. And to add insult to your injury. And the Lord told that to Cain. Satan, uh, sin is crouching at their door, but you must master over it. And so part of this passage that we look at is, is about overcoming. Is verse 12, let me jump into this. It, it says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you in his, uh, for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children. Because you have known the Father. I have written to you. Notice there's a shift. I have written to you fathers. Because you have known him who was from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. So Father... Give us understanding this morning of this passage. Illuminate this for us in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, help us to walk as these little children, as these fathers or mothers, as these young men or young women. Lord, we pray that your word would abide in us and that you would continue to help us overcome the wicked one. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. This is an interesting little, little, little passage here. Uh, a couple of different things you notice about it. One, it's repetitive, isn't it? It's repetitive. And it's talking, it, it, it categorizes three different groups, although it could be talking about one group, it could be talking about two groups. Somebody said they were talking about four groups. Your mileage may vary, all right? Little children or children, fathers and young men. And it could be fathers and mothers. Ladies, I don't want to leave you out. Remember, this was written in a very patriarchal society, so it could be fathers and mothers and young men and young women, Okay? if this was written for 2020. There's also a change in tense. Now, what's tense? Past tense, present tense, future tense, right? There's a change in tense in, in, in this particular little passage. Notice it starts out with, I write to you. I write to you. Okay, that's, that's given in the present tense. In the Greek, the present tense is, is an action that is in the process it's in the action that's in the process. It hasn't been completed. Kind of like you are in the process of listening to me preach God's word this morning. Yet that's present tense. And so when you go home 
when you go home and you say to your spouse or your pet or whatever, boy, I was glad when he was finally done today, right? You are speaking in what? You're speaking in past tense, right? (laughs) Or for the Greek, there is no past tense in the Greek. It's called the aorist, A-O-R-I-S-T. I don't always pronounce it well, but the aorist, which when it's given us in the aorist uh, um, indicative, I know this is probably more than you really want care to know, it refers to a past tense action. So we go from present tense at the beginning of this little passage until you get to the, uh, until you get to the last where it says, I write to you little children at the end of verse 13. That's actually in errorist tense. So in other words, now he starts talking in past tense. And in verse 14, I've written to you, I've written to you. Uh, he says it um, twice. Uh, he's talking past tense. So he's talking about the things that he has written in the past, but he's also talking about the things that he is in the process of writing. It's believed that John, the Gospel of John, was written prior to 1 John, this letter, and I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And I think it's helpful to interpret First John through the Gospel of John, which I've done a few times already, right? And so I think John is referring back to the Gospel that he has written to them, but he's also talking about the process that he is writing because he writes. Um, it's interesting about John because John writes the Gospel of John. He writes First, Second, Third John, but he also writes what book? There you go, book of Revelation. And, of course, within that book, there are seven letters. One of them is to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And uh, so it is believed that John wrote 1 John 1, 2, and 3. Actually, 1 John, 2, and 3 John, he wrote that to the church in Ephesus as well. As did Paul when he wrote to 1 and 2 Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. So that's a very important church for us really to study, which we are in the book of Ephesians right now. And so it's interesting to take all these things into consideration uh, when we look at that book and we look at both the writings of John and Paul given to this particular church. So he, he, he goes from, from a past tense to now he's talking about he's writing these things to them. He's giving them further instructions. Remember, I'm not giving you an old commandment, and yet I am giving you an old commandment that we looked at last week. And, and really... This incredible calling, I believe, that we are to live our lives and we are to take on the old commands that Jesus has given us and daily, daily it is, live them in new ways. And, and to, to allow the Spirit of God who dwells in us to give life to those things. And, and so that, that's part of what John is still referring to, the things that have been written, that they, they're not put aside just like in, in uh, and I don't want to take a lot of time to, to, to unpack this this morning, but I've talked about this a little bit before. In, in Jewish thinking, once you make a covenant, particularly you make an a everlasting covenant with someone, those covenants are never annulled. Any subsequent covenant that happens later is an addendum to the first covenant. So our new covenant that Jesus uh, established with us when he shed his blood on the cross is really an addendum to the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 
Again, I've talked about this before. I'm not going to jump into this. At, that's about all I'm going to say about it for this morning, but I'm using that as an illustration, is that these old truths that have been given to us, we continue to live them out in new and, and, and I believe, deeper ways. Deeper ways. At least hopefully that's true. Hopefully the love that you have for your spouse is deeper than it was when you first met them. Some of you a long time ago. And, 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 and love, is, love is not, it's really, a lot of times it's not a feeling. Love is, is an action based on commitment. Action is based on commitment. And at times it's, it's a commitment that says, you're acting like a jerk, but I'm going to love you anyway. And, and that's how our love deepens and how our love grows. And, and so John is really using the same concept, that the deepening of old truths so that they, they take on greater um, meaning in our lives. Does that make sense? A little bit of a repeat from last week. But, but you have, you have a, what's interesting here is um, you have three groups of people, little children, fathers and young men. Now, the question is, of which I don't have an answer, so we'll just close in prayer right now. I'm kidding. No, but, but the question is, is he speaking about them physically or spiritually? Someone says spiritually. Anybody want to take physically just for fun? Why not? My answer to that is I don't know. Because there's not enough information, I believe, in the text. I think both can apply. I think particularly when he's describing things about the children, fathers, and young men. And ladies, I'm not trying to leave you out. I'll just, that's just easier for you to recollect in my head. Um, I think when he describes these things, he's describing what? Spiritual attributes. Isn't he? So when he describes little children, and again, Jesus used this term at times. We see this in the Gospel of John. When he's describing little children, it, it's, it's my, my belief on this that he's really describing all of us. All of us within the family of God. We are all, all God's children because we've received Christ as Lord and Savior. Therefore, we are part of the household of faith. And in one regard, we are, we are it's interesting because he talks about little children in verse 12, but then he shifts it uh, uh, slightly in verse 13, just says children. That's why some people think he's talking about four groups, but I think sometimes you can slice and dice this a little bit too finely. Think it, you know, again, your mileage may vary on that. We are all part of God, being God. We are all part of the family of God. We are all God's children based on our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Within that family, there are those who are elders or parents of the, how's that, that better? Parents of the faith. And then there are the young people of the faith. And, and what, what's interesting that with, the, with the, the, the fathers and the young men that, that John is describing incredible attributes that they have received because they have 
given their lives and trusted their lives uh, into the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and I, that's the intention. Um, some people experience this more than others or differently than others. Um, and sometimes when I, I, I always, I'm somewhat hesitant to, to draw these descriptions because some people want to think that one size fits all and that that's not necessarily the case. But when some people, when they first get saved, they were just glad to be saved, right? Just glad to be saved. And, and that's important, isn't it? It's important to be saved, all right? That's what I'm saying. Okay, because if you don't get saved, that, that's the starting point. Okay, that's, that's the, uh, the blocks that the runner jumps into before the gun goes off and, and he takes off running down the, uh, the, uh, um, the, uh, the track. That, that's how we get into the family. That's how we are born again by the Spirit of God, that we receive Christ as Savior. But, but, and, and as wonderful as it is, and it is wonderful, right? Okay, it, right? It is, I think it's wonderful, okay? Jesus wants to add to that in our sanctification and in growing us up to become the young people of the faith and then to become the parents of the faith, the fathers and mothers of the faith. You know, it's, it's, yesterday we had the grandkids were over and we were talking about dessert. And, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, how grandkids are. Um, and they're good kids. But Mary was telling them that we had ice cream for dessert. So I think that's what I'm going to have for lunch today is ice cream. But anyway, she's telling about how we had ice cream for dessert. And, and um, she decided to kind of introduce them to putting fruit on ice cream. All right, I like that. Okay. So she was smart. And, you know, what's the way to a kid's heart? Ice cream? Well, it starts with an S. Sugar. So you take the fruit, you cover it with sugar, and then it tastes better, right? And that's how she introduced them to this idea of eating some fruit on their ice cream. Because at first they wanted sprinkles. You guys have sprinkles much? To me, they're na- it's nasty. It tastes bitter. You know, it's probably imitation sugar anyway, so which is worse for you than real sugar. Oh, no, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> have a drink, Mike. Anyway, but uh, to me, it always tastes bitter and nasty. And it, it you know, I... And then the, the food coloring starts to melt on the ice. You know, it's just, you know, it's just horrible, you know. It's like, why would you put that? Ruin a good bowl of ice cream, right? That's what they wanted because they're little children. And they had pie, that you said? I'm thinking, well, anyway, you guys are making me hungry. I'm getting hungry just talking about this. All right. But anyway, it, you know, they had this concept of, of one way to eat ice cream, and, 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 and Mary introduced them to, I think, a much better way to eat ice cream. And they weren't sure, you know, how it is. So it's like, you know, so you play that, okay, take a little bite, and tell me what you think. And they were like, wow. And, of course, they cleaned up all the fruit. They ate more fruit than they did ice cream, you know. And, of course, then they were jacked up, but, hey, you know, that's how it goes. Fourth of July. But, uh, but. That's how God grows us. And they took a step from being little kids into being young people yesterday because they tried something new. And they stepped out and they trusted 
their grandmother. You see the analogy I'm drawing here, don't you? That's part of how God wants to grow us as we step out in faith and we trust him and we trust his word and we allow him to, to, to bring us into some of the goodness that he has for us that we're not quite sure we're really ready for or that we even want. Right? So I think when this is talking about little children and fathers and young men, that it is speaking probably primarily spiritually. I think it could be physically as well, but I think obviously the spiritual element is definitely here. And, and, and uh, so he tells the children, gosh, I'm just getting going. It's almost time to be done. He tells the children that you're forgiven. You are forgiven and you have known. That word known is in the active voice. Remember the active voice is that the subject is doing the action. And what's the subject of known? You, the reader. You have known the Father. And you have known the one from the beginning. I love that, I love that, that phrase where it, it uh, says that you, are, you little children, your sins are forgiven. You have known the Father. And then he tells the fathers uh, in verse 13, you have known him who is from the beginning. Well, who is he who is from the beginning? Some people want to say that's the Father. Now, the Father is mentioned here in verse, in verse 12, isn't he? Actually, in verse, uh, thank you, in verse 13, the Father is mentioned. But who is the one whom they've known from the beginning? What's the context of this letter? Look at verse 1, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, okay, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have our eyes or we, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He goes from a, almost an impersonal object and he's, as he's furthering this description of that which they have heard from the beginning, he ties it to the person of Jesus Christ. Right? I think it's really clear in, in chapter 1. And I believe what we're seeing here too in chapter 2 because you have known him from the beginning. Notice your, 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 um, your translations have him capitalized. By the way, this is not a word-for-word -word translation out of the Greek. It's, it's very, it's a little difficult, and I'm not going to try to unpack for time. I'm not going to try to unpack that this morning. But I believe that this is a reference to that of whom we have known from the beginning, and that is Jesus Christ. One of the best gospel messages I think that is still out there is that little song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. What? Tells me so. And, and the, the, that whom we have known from the beginning, I've known him who died for me. I've known him who gave himself for me, for that God demonstrated his love toward me that while I was yet a sinner, that Christ died for me. And so... Uh, what he's saying to the fathers or to the spiritual parents here in this situation is that you are rooted and grounded in the faith that you first had. I've talked about this a little bit earlier, didn't I? Because you have to get saved for this 
to begin to happen, but you are always rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In other words, you are always rooted and grounded in what? The cross. You are always rooted and grounded in the work of the cross. And Jesus put it very clearly when he told us in Luke chapter 9, I don't remember the chapter in Matthew, but it's a parallel passage that he says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself daily and do what? Remember, take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? Humble yourself. It means to carry a burden. But it means particularly to humble yourself and to carry a burden because you have been asked to take up an instrument of what? Execution and death. And so what Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow him, that you have to die to self. So part of the foundation of the theology of the cross of Jesus Christ and what that took for us to be forgiven is also the foundation for what we are, how we are called to live day in and day out. And let me tell you something. Dragging around a cross through life is not a lot of fun. Amen? Some of you, amen. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> but it is, it's difficult denying yourself. Spiritual parenthood, spiritual fathering, spiritual mothering is a call to self-denial. It's a call to carry your cross. Now, I'm almost, I almost don't want to say this, but I think I will to try to maybe give a little bit of balance. That doesn't always mean that you're supposed to be a doormat. All right? Well, I'm just called to carry my cross and follow Jesus so these people can take advantage of me day in and day out, and I don't care because I'm carrying my cross. Maybe. Maybe you're just not being wise. Because Jesus also said that we're to be as wise as what? Serpents. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The Physical and spiritual analogies in that statement is staggering. If you really give some thought to that. So, the fathers, you've known him from the beginning, and I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Notice in verse 14, he says to the fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. And he says to the young men in verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. He's talking about those young people who have began to grow in the faith and there are people who are strong and, and they have engaged in spiritual warfare and they've overcome. Now, follow me. Okay, to become... Father or mother, biologically, this isn't a great analogy, but I might as well. I got the, I've already opened the door. To become a parent, first you have to go through what? Adolescence, normally, right? Don't give me the exceptions. I know there are some, but, but in other words, it's a progression of growth, is it not? 
spiritually is also the same way. The spiritual fathers and the mothers that, that John is addressing here in this letter were one time the young men and women of the faith, right? In other words, they have grown. And what he's saying here is that the young man, the young women of the faith, they have overcome. They've engaged in spiritual warfare, and they've overcome. They've been successful. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, I'll read it to you, and it says, And they overcame him, referring to Satan, by the way. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Revelation 12, 11. First, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb that cleanses us from all sin. The blood of the Lamb that also empowers us to become overcomers over the temptations of further committing sin. And they also overcame by the word of the testimony. What does that mean? Do you have a word, a testimony? Do you have a track record? Well, we all do, don't we? And our track record is either good, bad, or a mixed bag, right? Let's say for the sake of argument, and we'll pick on my last church on this, let's say you have a bad track record. That means you haven't overcome a whole lot. So then you recommit yourself to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Notice that's primary in that sentence. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and then you develop and you establish a new testimony. See, God is a God of many chances. I don't think that really says it well, though. Because of God's grace, that his grace and his mercy is new to you. Lamentations chapter 3, his mercy is new to you. How long? When? Every morning. Did you mess up yesterday? Maybe some of you did. The honest ones probably did, right? One way, shape, or form, somehow. But God's grace, God's mercy, that he demonstrated toward us that while we're yet sinners, that Christ died for us, his blood, then gives you grace and mercy and gives that to you anew every morning. That's how we overcome. And again, John has already told us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, he, he, he wipes the slate clean, and that which the Lord has called clean, let no man call unclean. That which the Lord has set free is truly free indeed. So stop living in the shame and in the guilt because you have not lived the perfect Christian life. But you overcome by his blood. The word of God abides in them. Which is present tense in the Greek, by the way. Which, again, what's present tense? An ongoing action. It's not completed. It's happening as we speak. The word of God abides in you. 
I, I hope that you all spend time reading the Bible every day. And actually, I, I hope that you're able to do readings throughout the day. I was going to say several, but that sounds like I'm, trying, I'm not trying to lay a trip on you, of y'all. I'll give you a little insight on mine. When it's nighttime, and I want to read, and I, or I may read the Bible or read some other spiritual literature, and it's nighttime, and guess what I want to do at nighttime? I want to sleep, exactly. I may just read one verse. I'm not reading a whole chapter. I'm too tired. But I want to grab a hold of that which I've read. Because I don't know about you, when I get really tired, I'll read a whole chapter and I'll forget what the first part says by the time I finish the last part. You there too? Okay? We're all there, all right? Take bite-sized portions that you are able to eat and digest. And don't get on some kind of guilt trip or some kind of head trip because maybe I'm just not reading enough. That's why, you know, God bless them. And if you want to do them and if you're doing them, God bless you, okay? But I don't do those through the Bible, yearly through the Bible things. Sometimes that's just too much for me to read in a given day. Or that's not where God's leading me. You and I want to show up at our master's table and we're to eat what he puts in front of us asking no questions for conscience sake. And if I'm about to fall asleep, why in the world do I want to go through a chapter or two? But there are other times during the day I'll start reading and I want to read a couple of verses and I'm six chapters into it before I even know it. You know, and, and so, guys, do what works. Do what works and don't feel guilty about it, but get the word of God abiding in you. Does that make sense? All right. Don't let Satan beat you up because you're, you know, and I'm also a slow reader and I don't comprehend well, all right? And as I'm getting older, I think it's getting worse, right? But I know the Lord wants to feed me. And I know I want to eat. And I know that I will overcome the evil one. Because my strength is in the Lord. And his word abides in me. And because of that, we overcome. We overcome. Amen is right. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And our testimony is nothing more than the story of a life that is faithfully walking with God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this is so rich, and I felt felt like I barely touched the hem of the garment this morning. Again. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you desire to feed us. Lord, we thank you that, that our sins have been forgiven for your name's sake. We thank you that it is you that we have known from the beginning. 
And we thank you that because of the power of your blood that we have overcome the wicked one. And Lord, we also recognize that you've called us not only unto salvation, but you've called us into relationship because you've called us unto yourself. Lord, help us to overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to overcome by the testimony of a faithful life walking with Jesus. We pray these things for your name's sake. We pray a blessing upon each of us here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.